For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in the newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. Study after study for, you know, going back 60 years shows that if you have a really strong vocabulary, you're a better reader. This is Susan Lambert, and welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast from Amplify, where the science of reading lives. On this eighth season of the podcast, we're exploring the critical role of knowledge in literacy development. And on this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Margaret McCowan to dive deep into effective vocabulary instruction. Dr. McCowan is Clinical Professor Emerita at the School of Education and Senior Scientist at the Learning Research and Development Center at the University of Pittsburgh. During this conversation, Dr. McCowan lays out the various elements of effectively building vocabulary and discusses the critical role of informal instruction. We'll also talk about effectively assessing vocabulary development and share plenty of practical tips. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Margaret McCowan. Margaret McCowan, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. I'm really excited to be here. This is, I'm sure this is going to be a fun conversation. I think it will be a fun conversation. But before we jump in, I would love if you could tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay, sure. Well, I'm a retired professor from the University of Pittsburgh, but I still stay active in the field because I, I just can't stop. Um, <laughs> so I really like being retired because I can just be involved at the level I want to be. I spent decades researching, particularly with my colleague Isabel Beck, on vocabulary and comprehension. And a lot of that was developing instructional programs. I spent a ton of time in classrooms, both teaching lessons. We always tried out lessons ourselves before we let the teacher take it, yeah. and observing classrooms. I started out as an elementary school teacher, so I've taught second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade language arts. And that's, yeah, that's that's who I am. <laughs> that's, that's a great arc, but there, I'm sure, is a lot more detail in between all of that. <laughs> But you're really here to help us understand a little bit more about vocabulary. And so I thought before we sort of jump into the details of that, can you just talk a little bit and set the scene a little bit for why vocabulary is so important? Sure. Uh, the major thing is its relationship to reading comprehension. I mean, study after study for, you know, going back 60 years shows that if you have a really strong vocabulary, you're a better reader. 
And at first, those studies were just correlational. The folks who scored high on vocabulary tests also scored high on comprehension tests. But lately, we've been able to see the details, just sort of see those processes in action through some CogPsych research that shows, for example, it's much more than just, you know, the meaning of the word, and therefore you're a better reader, but it's what you do with the word in the reading. So some cog scientists have been able to trace what they call integration processes to Mm -hmm. see that, for example, a, a word that's mentioned in a sentence, like say it says, you know, the rain came. And then they'll give the subjects a sentence that says something about the storm. And they notice that skilled comprehenders, because they've given all these folks comprehension tests, make a much quicker connection between the the idea of rain and a storm. So Mm. it's not just being able to know that, well, a storm, you know, rain comes down, but you know that that it's that same phenomenon being talked about in the text. And that's Mm. really the importance of vocabulary and comprehension is being able to use those words and their associations to make sense of what you're reading. Hmm. And also, even beyond comprehension, you know, it's your language. It's what we use to interact with people, with the world, whether it's convincing someone of a position or, you know, saying something funny to kind of make people like you or think you're interesting. Um, it, It seems like, you know, having mastery of your language is part of your self-image. That's a great way to say it. And, you know, I've recently been talking with folks about comprehension a little bit, that it's not sort of either or. It's comprehension isn't black and white. Comprehension is really on a continuum. Mm. But vocabulary is something like that, too. Vocabulary is on a continuum. You don't just know a word or you don't. Right. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And and there have been different ways to describe that over a long time. And what, what Isabel and I first said in one of our early articles was, uh, knowing a word is not an all or nothing proposition. Mm. And we showed that in several studies. We did a couple studies where we had different groups of kids that we taught the same words to. And one group, we gave them just definitions and had them, you know, do interesting activities, play games with them. But basically all the information they got about the word was was a definition. That was a child-friendly definition, but that was it. And maybe we gave them a context sentence, you know, one, versus giving this other group of kids same words, started with the definitions, but this rich, interactive, playing with the word, using it, you know, examining it in context, talking about context, generating context. And we found the kind of knowledge they had was very different. Both groups did well on just a simple definition test. But Mm -hmm. when we started assessing different aspects of vocabulary, like having them really put it to use, the kids that got the rich instruction did much better. We gave them passages to comprehend, passages with the words in them, and then asked them, uh, I think we asked them to retell the stories and found that that was better for the kids who'd gotten the rich instruction. Mm -hmm. So correct, it's not an all or nothing proposition. But the other thing about that is, just because somebody knows only the definition of the word doesn't mean they're going to stay at that stage. Vocabulary is also an important thing to know about vocabulary knowledge. It's cumulative. You're not going to learn everything that you need to know about a word the first time you encounter it. Even if you've encountered it in a rich context, you need to keep seeing it because it can mean something slightly different or it will mean something slightly different to the context. Mm -hmm. So you need to keep seeing words. And 
that's one important message that I always like to get across to teachers is if you've taught a set of words and you've got some kids that are really taking off with them and some that aren't, but they, they kind of seem to know them. That's okay. Those kids can, as long as there's lots of language use and those words stay, you know, uh, in a vocabulary notebook or somewhere in their awareness and their reading, that knowledge will continue to grow. You're not going to get kids all the way, even after a week of good vocabulary instruction, you're not going to get them all the way. Mm -hmm, That makes sense. Vocabulary, that's one of the, I mean, language in and of itself grows slowly over time too. And yes, yes, and over and over and over again is so important. Okay. Before we get too much further, I'm always curious why people get interested in topics they do. (laughs) So what is it about vocabulary? How is it that you're like, wow, this is a really cool thing and I want to learn more about it? Mm. Yeah, it it started early. Um, My father was educated as an English teacher, but then he served in World War II, came back from the war, and there weren't teaching jobs available. So I became his forever pupil. And so... (laughs) He, you know, he was always aware of words, using words. And so we just, I just began this relationship with language, you know, with him. Mm. And it just kept it up from there. You know, learning words, knowing how to use words. You know, sometimes we would even be a little snotty about it. If we heard somebody using a word not quite right, we'd kind of like, "Ah," you know, it would be a little joke between us. But, you know, I like to write from an early age. And when I discovered etymology that, you know, words have these, these pieces in them that came from other languages, I I was just so excited about that. And when I was teaching, I actually taught some lessons to my fourth and fifth graders about that. And they just caught fire with it. I remember explaining and showing some, some words and then saying, you know, when you look up a word in the dictionary, it will say where the word parts came from. And so I gave them a couple of words and I said, why don't you try it out? They flew out of their seats to the dictionaries. It was so exciting. But, you know, that kind of thing can really light fires about, about language. And I think part of it is because um, I think, unfortunately, for a lot of kids, vocabulary is just, I got to memorize these definitions and somehow these definitions are, you know, the real thing, you know, somebody sent them down from Mount Olympus, and I just have to learn them. Instead yeah. of, you know, your language is something that you use and, and manipulate. There's a reason, even though the reasons that words are, that, for instance, rhyme, but are spelled differently may seem bizarre, there are reasons for that. And I think understanding that and understanding that, you know, we have parts of words that came from other languages, and that's how language works. It's this messy human creation that, you know, keeps coming down from generations, millennia, and kind of changing and you know, being made to suit the day. And and we can't just go back and clean it all up. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of, I think it frees kids from the idea that, oh, this is this thing that I have to learn. It's this messiness that you can really take hold of and, and understand why it's like that. Yeah. I remember that brings me back to when I was teaching third grade and kids love wordplay, right? They <laughs> love idioms and, you yeah. know, different definitions of words. And recently I revisited the book, The Phantom Toll Booth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and yeah. so I just went back there to think about how much when kids can separate this idea of what you said, you know, vocabulary, it sounds so boring, but wordplay is so much more, more exciting and more fun. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and yeah, that should always have a place in you know, language instruction. And, and, you know, it does show kids, you know, wordplay is not just fun. It also shows kids kind of how words work or how our language works. One of my favorites that um, somebody introduced me to, um, you could keep pushing the envelope, but it will still be stationary. Oh my gosh, that's great. <laughs> and then you explore, why is that funny? And it reminds me of my ninth grade English teacher who would always say, the more you know, the more you can laugh which is exactly right. You need to have the knowledge in order for that word play to work. Mm, that's great. You know, I also do, um, in some of my professional development moments, talk about vocabulary being three things. And I probably learned a lot of this from you and Isabella Beck, <laughs> right? The idea that vocabulary is, you need a breadth of vocabulary you need depth in vocabulary, but you use those two things so that you have flexibility. Absolutely. Do those three things resonate with you, the breadth and the depth and flexibility? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you need a breadth. You, you need to know a lot of words, but you yeah. need to know a lot of them, a depth, so that you know the different senses of the word, the different contexts can be used in. Because when we're creating vocabulary knowledge in our in our heads, what happens is these connections keep forming between uh, a word and other words that might mean similar things or that are used in similar circumstances. And that's what our vocabulary knowledge looks like. It doesn't look like just a bunch of definitions. So mm -hmm. that's what you want to promote and create. And that doing that ensures the flexibility that you're going to need when you meet a word that you know, you sort of know when you meet it in a different context. And you have to be able to say, well, I, you know, this goes on very, very quickly in your head. Well, I thought it meant this, but it sort of means, seems to mean this. And you have to begin to understand the limits of that flexibility. It's not going to mean something completely different in a, mm -hmm. a, a new context, but it could be just a little bit different than you've been thinking about it. So yeah, those elements are really important. The other one that really I've started talking more and more is that the top level one that governs it all is interactive. Good instruction needs to be interactive. You need to not just be given information about a word, whether it's you know a bunch of different contexts or a definition, you need to actually do something. So we should never think about providing information to students about words, but that sort of uh, giving a, a resource or a catalyst, and then you work on that. You know, you, you give a definition and then you give a context and then ask them how the definition fits the context or to restate mm -hmm. the, the context without that word. So they have mm -hmm. to you know, do a kind of a synonym of it or, you know, a description of the word in the sentence. And that's the thing that was really going to build that depth and that flexibility. Hmm. Yeah. So that, I think that's one of the things we were talking about in the planning call was some of those various elements that go into that vo vocabulary instruction. So the contextual information, the definition of it, um, multiple exposures, right? And the interactions with it. Yeah. Where do you think we could help teachers sort of beef up that vocabulary instruction when it comes to those critical elements? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question that I've been, you know, mulling around with. I think a big part of it is sort of time, you know, giving time to vocabulary and exactly what to do because obviously definitions are always there. Yeah. So it's it's sort of giving teachers easily accessible resources 
you know, about words and also freeing them from the idea that it always has to be a lesson on vocabulary. I mean, you know, you can have a very quick lesson where you just introduce three or four words. Maybe they're in a text you're reading and, and after the text you introduce three or four words, you, you know, give a quick definition, you go back to the context that was in the story and you talk about, you know, how that made sense of the context. But then those words are there in the classroom and just keep using them, keep using them all day, you know, give kids pluses on the blackboard if they use it, challenge them to you to find those words outside of school. And just, you know, in the morning, start the day with a, a question that that embeds one of the words, you know, um, who is reluctant to get out of bed this morning? Or let's have a dynamic day. We're going to put a lot of energy into it. You know, just use, use, use. And the kids pick this up. I mean, just so quickly. The, these mm -hmm. kinds of things really catch fire. But that kind of informal work can do so much. And I don't know if, I mean, I think understanding that would be really helpful to teachers and, and that they could really take off with that. Unless the thing is also that they've got a, you know, I don't know how many school districts are still very um, structured about, you know, you got to give me your lesson plans. You're going to tell me when were you doing vocabulary? If mm -hmm. that's going to cause a, an issue with that, it should not because, you know, having 15 minutes for vocabulary is not going to be nearly as useful as having 10 minutes for vocabulary and then doing this kind of all day you know, we're using words, vocabulary pervades the day. That's, that's what's really going to build awareness of words, um, the depth of knowledge that you need, um, and interest, the kind of, because the other thing about vocabulary, as I mentioned at the beginning, it takes a lot of exposures. You're, you're not going to learn a word quickly, even if you've had a set of good activities, you may be only, you know, halfway there to really understanding the nuances of some words. And only if you make it fun and you make it something kids want to pursue, are they going to go and fill in the rest of that knowledge? Because otherwise mm -hmm. they'll just shut down. They won't pay attention to words that they read. They'll be reading something, see a word that they don't know, and just kind of skip over that sentence. But if you make it interesting and fun and something that's meaningful and, and that really becomes part of the kid's you know, identity, then they will do that. They will pursue that. So, yeah, I think it just, you know creating a mindset in which you are aware of opportunities all the time to bring words to, to kids' attention. And part of that is just, you know, your own mindset. Start noticing words, if you don't already, as you read, you know, for pleasure, as you read the newspaper. Oh, here's a word that I know I keep seeing in all different contexts. Maybe I should introduce that to the kids. And in reading, I mean, I think reading to kids at every level is really good and stopping and talking about some of the words. You know, sometimes it can be, oh, this sentence, I had a feeling it was going to mean something completely different, but then I hit this word and I know that the author's trying to tell me the character is really good. You think noticing language use like that, I think is, again, it will just, it's contagious. It will really lay the groundwork for a lot of, of good things in the classroom. That's a really good point about, you know, sort of fostering the curiosity around words and how they're used and what they mean and how authors use them and how students can use them as they're reading and writing. Yeah. Um, so we often talk about explicit instruction is really important. And then that sort of informal implicit instruction is important. How do you feel like the role of explicit instruction then should work in the classroom relative to that more informal? 
Yeah, I th- you know, that's such an interesting point that I don't think has been made enough in this current talking about the, the science of reading. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of uh, systematic, direct, explicit instruction is particularly important for, for it's usually most often used in the context of phonics. But beyond mm-hmm. phonics, those ideas of explicit and systematic kind of change a bit. And maybe that's a problem in that you're thinking about direct, explicit instruction, immediately you jump to definitions of words, or immediately you jump to, you know, strategies as teaching a structured routine. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to leave that behind. We should not be relying on or or focusing on structure, structural aspects when we teach vocabulary. The explicitness, yes, it's it's a good idea to explicitly give kids a definition, a child-friendly definition. And it's absolutely, you know, a good idea to deliberately introduce them to multiple context, as opposed to just letting kids read a lot and learn words from context, the explicitness of pulling out words, defining them, talking about the context, giving them a context is absolutely useful and good and valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I think that's that's what the explicitness means, is bring this information to full awareness, you know, deliberately give it to them, but then don't stay structural. That's not going to do it. That structure of a definition in a context is not going to take you all the way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, again, we, we just have to get to that use of words. We'll be right back. As we shared on our last episode, we're doing something special for this knowledge-focused season of the podcast. We've asked the finalists of the 2023 Science of Reading Star Awards to offer some of their thoughts and advice on knowledge building. Throughout this season, we'll share some of their insights. This time around, we're going to hear from Virginia Quinn Mooney, a teacher from New Milford, Connecticut. Virginia was a finalist for the 2023 Changemaker Award, and she told us about her experience helping her district shift to the science of reading, which included some help from a friend of this podcast. I was lucky enough to host Natalie Wexler not just once, but twice on a virtual happy hour. And I learned so much about the importance of teaching through content and providing these students with the background knowledge. In doing this, their vocabulary will improve, as will their comprehension. And going forward, my intention is to really introduce much more content in the classroom, providing the background knowledge, and then increasing their comprehension. And I look forward to seeing the same results with the top portion of the rope that I've seen on the bottom. That was Virginia Quinn Mooney, a teacher at Northville Elementary School in New Milford, Connecticut. Find more information on the Science of Reading Star Awards at amplify.com slash soar dash star dash awards. And now, back to our conversation with Margaret McCowan. This sort of takes me back to the beginning of our conversation where we talked about language and how it can, you know, it develops differently than things that are just, you know, this sound matches the spelling is a different kind of instruction than we're going to use language in different ways and over time. My question here is, do we think people really understand what language is and its usage and that sort of concept of it needs this additional time and, and energy? Yeah, I think there's still this idea of 
your learning language is, there's too much structure thought of, like we're going to learn grammar. So we're going to learn what a noun is. We're going to learn what a verb is. Mm -hmm. And to define those things or to diagram sentences is just not going to get you there. Maybe some of those things can be useful, but it always has to go back to using language, you know, talking about sentences and, you know, a real sentence that's in a text. Okay, let's talk about, we've got this piece of it. And this, sometimes, you know, I read a book and the sentence is like three, three lines long. I go, wait a minute, I got to take that apart. But I'm not thinking, what's the noun? What's the dependent clause? What's the, I'm really thinking of, okay, this part refers to this. So it's, again, it's that use of, and that is how language grows. It's by using it. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things that I think people are not always consciously aware of. So first, you know, we all learn, have our initial language learning through conversations when we're tiny, tiny kids. And that's where we pick up a lot of the vocabulary, the, the what we've called tier one, the really basic concrete words that get used every single day. And for most kids, it's a very natural process. They're going to pick up these words if they're exposed to them. Mm -hmm. And they're likely to be exposed to them again and again because they hear them every day. They hear the words table and home and sun and you know all those kinds of words. But then there's so many wor more words out there and ways to use language that language is something that can't be thoroughly taught in school. It's just infinite. I mean, I think there are estimate of 145,000 words in the English language. Nobody, mm -hmm. nobody knows that many words. <laughs> so, you know, we're always encountering something new with language and um, we, we can't just learn it by sitting down and, and being told a bunch of rules. I think mm -hmm. that's why it's so hard for people to learn a second language unless they're really immersed in someplace where that language is in use. That makes a lot of sense. So, so far, you we've talked a little bit about the importance of the various elements that go into effective vocabulary instruction. We talked about the importance of informal instruction, <laughs> um, which building that curiosity, I love that. The other thing that you think is really important, I think, is the need for different assessment measures. Can you mm -hmm. talk about that? Vocabulary is so hard to assess, isn't it? It is a pain in the butt. Um, so I must, I must say that colleagues and I wrote an entire book on vocabulary assessment, so it's hard to summarize. But in summary, um, <laughs> so for the classroom, if you're going doing vocabulary assessments, you really need to be, be aware of what you're getting. So if you give kids uh, a test of definitions, that's fine. As long as you realize it means what they know about the word is the definition. Mm. And that can be all you need. For some teachers, they might just need a grade to put in the book. But if you want to know more about your kid's vocabulary, if you want to know if it has a chance of affecting comprehension, you've got to do something different. You know, it could be uh, giving them a sentence and asking them to to write a sentence that that explains that, or giving them a sentence and write the sentence that might come next, or to explain that in a, in a story. Mm. We've done things like a, as simple as a, a yes no test, where we had four sentences for each word, two that just asked a definition. You know, does does consistent mean you do things the same all the time? Does consistent mean, you know, you're really hungry? And these would be scattered throughout the test. And then we'd say, um, we'd give him a sentence and say, uh, Bob was consistent because he had eggs for breakfast every morning. You know, yes or no? Is that a good use of consistent? And then we'd have a, a sentence that used it 
incorrectly that you know, didn't make sense. And, and that would be the no sense. Mm. One of my favorite assessments is what we called context integration. And that really tests, gets closest to testing whether kids are going to be able to use these words in comprehension. So it would give kids a sentence like, Suzanne seemed reluctant to ride her new bike. And we would deliberately construct them that way so that it, the word took it in kind of an unexpected direction. Because you think about, mm-hmm. you're talking about a new bike for a kid, that would be something very exciting. But here we have reluctance. So why? Why do you think, why do you think Suzanne was reluctant? And again, this is one of the tests we used with kids we had taught just definitions and kids we had taught in a rich way. The kids we had taught in a rich way picked up on that and would say, oh, maybe she was scared she'd fall off, or maybe the bike was too big, or you know something like that. Where the kids that were taught the definitions would either say reluctant means, and then just, you know, they knew the word reluctant, but they couldn't put it in the context. Or they'd say, mm-hmm. oh, she must have been really excited because she got a new bike, where the rest of the context would override what they knew about the word. So that's, I mean, that's a hard kind of assessment, I think, for teachers to create, but I think you can get close to it by just giving them sentences that aren't aren't really super obvious and ask them to explain what it what it means. And mm-hmm. the other thing about different kinds of assessments in the classroom is almost any activity. So in the books that Isabel and I and Linda Kukin have written, we have tons of examples of activities. Any kind of activity can also be used as assessment. Again, depending on what you want to know. So we have one that we do all the time that's called example, non-example. Like we would say, um, which would be astonishing. Your dog says good morning to you or your dog wants to go outside for a walk. Why? You know, that can be an assessment and that can just be an assessment even as you're doing that activity in the classroom, the teacher can kind of be checking off and, you know, maybe on a certain day she's going to call on these 10 kids and just check off, are they able to do that with their words? And the next day she might call on the other half of the class and just check off. So those kinds of things can be informal assessments, but it really gives a teacher an idea of whether kids are getting to this next level of not just knowing the definition, but really being able to understand the use and and developing a facility to explain, to use the word in explaining. I love that example of an activity that can be also used as an assessment, but I also love that it gets kids thinking about using words differently, and you wonder how they generalize that to other new words they encounter and learn. Yeah, yeah. And that is, I mean, that's such an interesting part of vocabulary learning that it's real, that, you know, researchers haven't quite conquered yet. There's a lot that we don't know. And so there, you know, when you talk about assessments, there's, there's the classroom. And again, they can be very simple if the teacher just wants to know, yeah, the, yeah, the kids are kind of getting these words. But in research, we really need a better range of assessment. Mm. Too often there are studies that will give kids a test on the definitions, and then they'll give them a reading comprehension test. Well, there's a huge chasm between knowing the definition and being able to have those words generalize into comprehension. So we've always emphasized that in our work. You know, there should be intermediate measures where you can just respond to a sentence context. There should be, you know, further out measures. You know, we've used, with young kids, we've used pictures and tried to draw the pictures so that they would kind of draw out a word use and then ask them to talk about the picture. There are lots and lots of things that you can do, not any one of which is going to give you the full answer, 
But that's the point. You need a range of measures to really know what kids are getting, how far they're getting on that continuum of knowing a definition and being able to use the word in comprehension. And then the next step is that at what point, because I think most of us who are dedicated vocabulary researchers completely believe that at some point, as you're learning words, that's going to start to generalize and help you learn new words or help you understand, as you say, new things about words, other words that that they're being taught. When does that happen? What does that look like? We just don't know. We haven't just, we haven't been creative enough to come up with assessments that are going to tell us that. That makes sense. And I'm sitting here thinking from a teacher's point of view, oh my gosh, this is really great information about vocabulary, about, you know, how difficult it is to learn to be flexible with words that we need breadth and we need depth and we need all these things. What in the world am I supposed to do in the classroom in terms of teaching this? So, so what advice do you have for educators in terms of thinking about how we're supposed to teach and expose kids to, to words? Yeah, I I think so. Part of it is to say, you know, um, relax (laughs) because you're never going to be able to teach kids all the words that they really need to know. So just drop that. There is no perfect set of words. So don't worry about which words you're using. Just sort of, you know, again, tune your mind to the kinds of words that turn up in texts a lot. Ones that go across texts, you know, not so much ones that are just domain specific, but what words am I going to read in a a novel, a newspaper article? Those are the kinds of words. So you can familiarize yourself with those kinds of words by looking at various lists, the academic word list, the academic vocabulary list, you know, those you could just Google online. And it's not that those are the words you should teach, but that's the kind of word Mm. that you should be aiming for. Mm. And then it's just like, really think about opportunities. So in the text you're going to be reading, just scan it and see what words you can teach. And, you know, some words can be very dense with vocabulary. You don't have to teach them all that are there. Um, Sometimes you might just stop during, because I'm thinking of a supported reading environment where the teacher is reading with the kids, you know, kid, kid or teacher reads, and then there's some discussion. So the teacher can just stop and just simply explain what a sentence that with a new word in it. And that word does not have to be followed up. Words can be treated differently. There Mm -hmm. might be a word that you don't stop for, but then at the end, it just seems like a word kids are going to come upon again and again. Let's work with it. Let's keep that. You know, we'll put it on the wall. You put it in your vocabulary notebooks. And then there are some texts that don't have many words in, new words, but you're going to be reading that text for some curricular reason. Come up with words about the text. So you can say things like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, these people were without food for a really long time, so they must have felt famished. Famished is another way to say they were very, very hungry. And then that word can become part of it. Um, Relate words that have been learned um, or have been hanging around the classroom for some reason to the current text you're reading. And again, it doesn't have to be words that are in the text, but you might say, um, he seemed to really be dominant in his family. We use that word, you know, we learned that word in some other text. Mm -hmm. So it's those kinds of things that, that give you as a teacher flexibility. You don't have to think of it as, I have to have a perfect word list every week, or I have to have texts that have 10 words uh, in to, to teach every week. And, and sometimes you might work, some weeks you might work with three words. 
Some weeks you might work with eight words just because of a text you're using or some set of words that seems to fall around each other in their relationships to each other. So I think it's that, you know, if you start thinking about it in that way, and it's still not easy. And and I think the best thing is to, you know, get together with some other teachers and start to talk about, okay, what words can we focus on? And if you've got mm-hmm. other, you know, fourth grade or fifth grade classrooms in your school, that's the best. And then, okay, we're going to, we're going to work with this same set of words. And then you can, you know, help each other create activities for them. And a couple of resources that I always mention to teachers that are just really easy is, you know, you can Google sentences with whatever word and you get tons of example sentences. Now they won't all be good, but you can certainly use some of those or it will give you ideas of how to use the word. And there's an Edim, Edim online, E-T-Y. So it's like the beginning of etymology online. You can look up the etymology of any word if you want to introduce that aspect to kids, which I think can be very useful because then that's another way to start to be generative. Like you, you learn that VOC in vocabulary means, mm-hmm. you know, sound or voice or word. And then you start, you could start to point that out in it's in vocabulary, it's an advocate, it's in vociferous, it's it gives kids an awareness of, oh, this happens with words, but then also they can start to make those connections. Mm, that's great. I just learned something new. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, you know, this season for us is all about knowledge building and we mm-hmm. know vocabulary fits into that, but we would love from your point of view, how does vocabulary fit into this whole concept of building knowledge? Oh man, this this has been, I've been on Twitter about this a lot. Every time somebody oh. mentions a knowledge building curriculum, it builds knowledge and vocabulary. I'm like, okay, hold on. What do you mean? Because when I talk about building vocabulary, I'm talking about mostly tier two words, these general words that go across domains, things like mm-hmm. dominant and consistent and mm-hmm. ominous, because those are the words that kids are going to meet across texts and they're going to be the most useful to kids you know, in a more generative way. Mm-hmm. And it, a couple things are going on. I think when, when people talk about knowledge building, a knowledge building curriculum, they think of the words that we're building kids' knowledge of are those content words, the content domain words, what we'd call tier three words. So right. you're, you're doing a science text and they're going to learn molecule and they're going to learn atom and they're going to learn, that's fine for science, mm-hmm. but those aren't the kinds of words that you'll be seeing generatively across text. So be aware that if you really want to build build kids' vocabulary, you need to focus on the tier two words. And mm. also it turns out that I think a lot of times that tier two words in continuary text, because we're worried about knowledge building, get ignored. But that's what explains and supports the tier three words. And I just have a sentence that I'll read to you that I encountered uh, a teacher posted on Twitter. This was from I think an assessment of reading comprehension, it was supposed to be a a nonfiction passage about beavers and how they build their homes. And the sentence says, the teeth of the beaver are important structures that serve many functions for the survival of the beaver. So that's got one, two, three, four tier two words in structures, serve, functions, survival. Those are the words you need to attend to if kids don't know them. And those are the words, again, that are going to take them across domains. Mm, that's such a very good point. Thank you for, for doing that. That's my spiel. Knowledge that's your spiel. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you also wrote a book about that, didn't you? About vocabulary, the importance of vocabulary or several of them. And what we'll do is link our listeners in the show notes in case they aren't aware of those books (laughs) that you authored or co-authored. Okay, that works for me. (laughs) Well, this has all been such good information. We love your specific examples. And I wonder, do you have any final words of advice for educators as it comes to relates to vocabulary? Sure, I'll try. But I I feel like, oh my gosh, I've never said the final words on vocabulary. I could just talk about it for days. But... (laughs) Again, I think I would um, emphasize the idea of, of just set if if you do one thing, set up an attitude about words. This idea of reveling in words, and then just drop them in. So it really is again interactive. I, I guess I would give three words: interactive. You just got to do stuff. You know, you talk about a word, and then you ask kids, "So did you ever?" Blah blah. Um, use get kids to use them, generate context, and then ongoing. It just has to be, you can't just do a vocabulary lesson in the morning and then come back to vocabulary again the next morning or three days later. The words have to be there in the classroom all the time. The kids have to understand this isn't just an exercise we do in school. This is language that you use all the time. So those are, I guess, interactive use and ongoing would be my my final words. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, now you've given the final yeah, words. I, on... <laughs> I can't say anymore. <laughs> well, Margaret, it was such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for the work that you continue to do. And like I said, we will link our listeners in the show notes to all of your valuable resources. Oh, okay. Thank you, Susan. This was, this was really fun. As you can tell, I like to talk about vocabulary. <laughs> Always grateful to have an opportunity to do it. That's great. Words are important. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Dr. Margaret McCowan, Clinical Professor Emerita at the School of Education and Senior Scientist at the Learning Research and Development Center at the University of Pittsburgh. Check out the show notes for links to some of her work, including the books Bringing Words to Life, Robust Vocabulary Instruction, Creating Robust Vocabulary, and Vocabulary Assessment to Support Instruction. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. Please share your thoughts in our Facebook discussion group, Science of Reading, the Community. Science of Reading, the podcast is brought to you by Amplify. For more information on how Amplify leverages the science of reading, go to amplify.com slash CKLA. Next time on the show, we're featuring the return of Dr. Jasmine Rogers. When Dr. Rogers first joined us back at the beginning of the year, she told us all about her dissertation research. Now she's gotten her doctorate and she's telling us all about what she learned. One of the concepts that I wanted to get across is that when we're talking about language, especially when we're talking about different languages across cultures, we need to discuss the why sometimes. That's coming up next time. Don't miss any upcoming episodes by subscribing to Science of Reading the Podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And please do us a favor and consider rating us and leaving us a review. It will help more people find the show. Thank you again for listening.